Welcome to Bible study. Very good to have you with us again. And uh, please stay with us uh, today. It's an amazing uh, subject, amazing topic about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to just introduce the panel to you all. And uh, thank you, Stephen, for coming on board again. You're very welcome. It's nice to be here. And Ken, thank you for uh, being with us. Uh, my pleasure. Harvey, welcome. Hi to the listeners. And Lija, thank you also for joining us too. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Len, it's our facilitator, as you realize by now. And thank you, Len, for putting together all these studies. Very welcome. Uh, just before we go into the subject, I would like to start with um, a short word of prayer. Ken, would you like to just pray for us and our listeners too? Heavenly Father, Lord God, we're so thankful to be able to be here today. And we're so thankful, Lord God, for the wonderful opportunity we have to share over the radio waves the Word of God. We ask, Heavenly Father, that the Holy Spirit may be with those that are listening, that their hearts may be open and their minds may be open, and they will take in the words of Scripture as laid down by God. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Well, listeners, today we're going to be studying what I would call the Prince of studies in this um, group of studies we've been doing about preparation for the end times. Next week we're going to be studying about the growth of the early Christian church as explained in the book of Acts. The return of Jesus has for centuries been a longed for event. The Apostle Paul referred to it as the blessed hope. However, especially since the 1980s, there have been some strange interpretations about Christ's second coming. Today, we want to share with you the truth of what the Bible has to say about this glorious event. Now, one of the commonly taught ideas in many Protestant churches is that Christ will come secretly and part of that secret coming will be a secret rapture. Ken, how does the Gospel writer Matthew describe Christ's second coming? Well then, as we look in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 27, the words of God say, For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even on to the west, so shall also the coming of the man shall be. So we can see this is going to be a major physical event that no one's going to miss. All right, it's going to be spectacular. I've heard it described as the greatest show that the earth will have ever seen. It's going to spe be spectacular. It's going to be visible. And it certainly won't be secret. Lydia... What is a word to describe Christ's coming? Uh, it's the advent. So anyone who believes in the second coming is known as an Adventist. Yes. So Adventist is pointing to the uh, second coming of Jesus um, in which all the hopes and the promises of Scripture, including the promise of eternal life, will find uh, their fulfillment. Right. You know, as you read through the Bible, and I think it's about 17 times 
in both the Old and New Testaments where it mentions the day of the Lord. What do you understand, Ledger, that expression to mean? The day of the Lord, uh, it means the second coming of Jesus. Yeah, it's the second coming of Jesus. Harvey, is that different from the expression the Lord's Day? Yes, it certainly is. The Lord's Day, according to Scripture, is the Sabbath. And in Mark 2.28, it says, Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Is there anywhere else where the Scripture says that the Lord's Day is the Sabbath, Ken? If thou wilt turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord honourable, and shalt honour him not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Okay, so we have two references here which quite plainly say which is the Lord's day. I'll give those references again. It's Mark chapter 2 verse 28 and Isaiah chapter 58 verse 13. Of course, many people these days regard the Lord's day as Sunday simply because Christ's resurrection was on Sunday. But the Bible doesn't say it was the Lord's Day. The Bible says the Lord's Day is the Sabbath. Anyhow, that's a little aside. What we're really discussing is the Day of the Lord. Stephen, what does the Old Testament writer Isaiah have to say about the Day of the Lord? Well, what he writes is a little bit scary, actually. It's in Isaiah chapter 13 and verses 6 to 9. And it says this, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at each other, their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. That's pretty momentous isn't it it is but of course there's another side to this which we'll talk about a little bit later ken that's what isaiah said but what did the prophet daniel have to say well daniel uh chapter uh, chapter 12 and verse 1 and at that time shall michael stand up the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. So we can see that at this time there's great distress, trouble, but there's also deliverance of God's people. And that's the good bit. Absolutely. Harvey, in view of the impending day of the Lord, what counsel did the prophet Zephaniah give? In Zephaniah chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 it says, Gather yourselves together, gather together, O nation not desired, before the decree bring forth, before the day passes the chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord come upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger come upon you. Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought this his judgment seek righteousness 
seek meekness. It may be ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. I think we have to sort of differentiate a little bit here and say there are two days we were talking about. There's the Lord's day, which is Saturday, Sabbath. There is also the day of the Lord, which is the day of Jesus' second coming. And for a lot of people, the day of the Lord is going to be a terrifying day. But for those who believe, it'll be a day of great rejoicing. So because of that, Zephaniah gives a warning and then he gives counsel. And why has he given this counsel, Harvey? Those that are expecting Jesus to come and are looking forward to his coming, they will be sheltered from the Lord's anger in that day. Okay, so going on on this same theme, Ledger, Zephaniah adds more. Would you like to read Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 14, 15, 17 and 18? Yes, it says like this, The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. Listen, the cry on the day of the Lord will be bitter, the shouting of the warrior there. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness will bring distress on the people and they will walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like filth. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole world will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end for all who live in the earth. So it means here it says that for uh, those who uh, are lost, there is a time of judgment against uh, the wicked, a day of destruction and sorrow and turmoil for the lost. But uh, as we uh, discussed before that day also is going to be a day of deliverance for all of God's people for all those who are found uh, written in the book of life okay now earlier I mentioned about the fact that many people believe in a secret rapture when Christ comes secretly but uh, the book of Matthew chapter 24 records what Jesus said about the end of the age, that is, the second coming of Jesus. Stephen, what do those verses say? Well, in verses 30 and verse 31 of Matthew 24, it says, Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. So that sounds like you can see something going on, doesn't it? And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his chosen ones from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. So who are the chosen ones? They're the ones who believe in Jesus. They're the ones who have chosen him. Yeah, it doesn't sound very secret to me. No, it doesn't. It sounds pretty, um, <laughs> sounds pretty amazing, actually. You've got two different groups of people, one responding enthusiastically and positively because they have chosen Jesus, 
and another group who haven't re- responding tragically with great amount of fear. So is there anything there that indicates this is not going to be a secret coming? Well, I think um, I, I, well, in verse 31 it talks about sending out angels, it talks about loud trumpet calls, it talks about gathering people. These are all things that one does fairly visibly and audibly. Um, I once got reminded that when Jesus comes back it will be visible, audible and literal. That means it will be something that's very clear for all to see. Um, I think there's a text we're going to look at very shortly which says this quite specifically. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. Visible, audible and literal Mm. and terrible for some. (laughs) Sadly, yes, but wonderful for others. Yeah. Nick, you want to say something? I was just thinking, um, just as a question, perhaps, um, why then so many people I mean, prefer to believe in things like a secret rapture or things which they cannot really see it happening, rather than the things which the Bible tells us that it, this will be an event which every eye shall see? Why is that sort of uh, uh, belief around? I, th- I think there's a combination for those things, Nick. One of the things, of course, is that uh, a lot of people don't read the Bible themselves and they perhaps attend places that aren't telling them the truth or perhaps don't even know the truth because although we're in the last days and we have the Bible, the light doesn't shine on everyone. Stephen, according to Daniel chapter 2, verses 34, 35, 44 and 45, What ends and what begins at this time? Well, verse 34 is an interesting one. It says, while you were watching, and so Daniel's talking to Nebuchadnezzar. He's interpreting the dream that he's had. And Daniel says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, The bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And in verses 44 and 45 it says, it kind of explains this. It says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. So what will end and what will begin? Um, I think what it says quite clearly is that man's plans and man's kingdoms will end, but God's kingdom will never end. Yeah. Harvey, how do we know that this refers to the end of time? In fact, just one of the texts that Stephen just read, which was Daniel 2 verse 45, part of that text says, God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. So it's talking about time that was yet to come. It wasn't present at that time. Yeah. Now we alluded to something earlier 
And Ken, would you read Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through to 13 where it talks about the blessed hope? Uh, verse 11, we start there. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ. So that's a pretty clear statement. Ken, would you like to summarise it? What then is the blessed hope? Well, the blessed hope, of course, is the return of Jesus and for all of his people, his true Christian people that are looking forward to him, that will be the day that we all go home. Yeah. Now, Lydia, we've sort of answered something that um, I wanted to ask you, but I'll ask you anyhow because it'll consolidate it. For whom will the blessed hope be? The blessed hope will be for all those who love God, who serve God. And as Paul says in Second Timothy verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Paul says that I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So this was Paul's hope in his lifetime, but the blessed hope will, will be for all those who are hoping to see Jesus return again on his second coming. Okay, Harvey, you wanted to ask a question? Yes, I wonder, when you look at the term blessed hope, Blessed hope means something very positive. Blessed can be interpreted the same as happy. And hope, we know that if they say you can live without air for a couple of minutes, you can live without water for a few days, you can live without food for probably a few weeks. But if a person loses hope absolutely, life has no more meaning for them and very often they take their own life. And so the blessed hope is something we should all have. And I'd like to think that the audience, the listeners, would understand and have the blessed hope. I'd like to ask you, do you actually have the blessed hope? Because it is something that is absolutely worthwhile. It's something that gives us the feeling that there is a better time coming when in actual fact today things don't look that way, do they? But the Bible clearly says that there is a better time coming for those who are believers in God. Yeah, all right, thank you for that, Harvey. Now, listeners, you might have heard about the doctrine of the secret rapture, that is, the secret return of Christ, where the saints will be whizzed away to heaven. Simply put, this is a teaching that Jesus Christ will return twice. First, there's supposed to be a secret, unheralded return in which Christ will whisk away all Christians, both living and dead, off to heaven to be present there during the time of the Great Tribulation taking place on earth. 
This secret coming supposedly could occur at any moment and will supposedly come without any advance warning to anyone. Seven years later, or three and a half according to some, Christ will return openly in power and glory to destroy the wicked and to establish his kingdom. Do you know, the Bible doesn't support that view. The secret rapture doctrine is a man-made idea and is a false doctrine which has deceived many otherwise sincere people. And uh, my dear friend, probably it's time now to just answer the, myself the question which I put it a bit earlier. Why so many people don't tend to believe in the secret rapture or some other secret things happening? Is because the enemies counterfeit because he knows that he cannot appear as Jesus will in the end time that every eye shall see. I heard the story people talking about that there will be so much deception that even a, maybe a hologram will be up there in the sky for um, people to to see the false second coming of Jesus Christ which will be done by the enemy Satan. But it was interesting remark that it says that it will be broadcast probably on TVs which again says don't go don't look if somebody tells he, he, he is you know in the in the little room or in the desert or somewhere else. Don't go because the second coming of Jesus Christ will be as visible as the lightning striking from the east to the west, which every eye shall see. And that's what I'm thinking when I mentioned earlier that the enemy is working very hard to deceive many people, but we need to know what the Bible says in that regard. And he's um, very busy trying to deceive Christians. Stephen, would you read First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through to 18, and then perhaps after reading it, would you answer this question? Would you call that description a secret coming? Okay, so verse 13 begins, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. So what's going on here is there were Thess people in Thessalonica who were Christians who were, just, who were getting sad because fellow believers were dying and they didn't understand how that could be. And they were concerned, does that mean that they're not going to be going to be with the Lord? For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ, that's those who have died believing in Jesus, will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever and then Paul says therefore encourage some translations say comfort one another with these words so as I read that I think to myself that's going to be a great meeting event when people who have passed away are now resurrected to new life and with those who are already alive 
they are caught up together to meet, the Bible says, the Lord in the air. Not here on the earth, not somewhere over in a corner somewhere, mm. but up in the air to meet the Lord. And that's going to be a momentous event. So the, I would imagine there'll be lots of loud talking, there'll be lots of noise. It even talks about trumpet calls and loud commands. So this is going to be, as I mentioned before, a very literal, a very visible, and a very audible event. And this is when those who um, are God's followers, who believe in Jesus and recognize him as the Savior, um, will, for the first and final time, come into Jesus' presence. Well, I want to be part of that. What yeah. about you? Sounds pretty darn good to Absolutely. me. I All think right. per perhaps maybe some of the things, Len, we sh might just mention here to clarify something. I think uh, uh, Stephen just said, those that believe in the Lord, believe in the Lord is not just literally believing. You have to be baptized and keep the Lord's commandments. So there's a little bit more to it than just believing. Yes, yes there's a important. responsibility in believing. Uh, like <clears throat> I could say something like this. It's a fairly poor analogy, but... If you're chosen to be on a sports team and you go on the sports team, then you've got some responsibilities to that team. You can't just say, well, I'm a member of that team and sit on your backside and do nothing. <laughs> so as Christians, we have a responsibility. Ken, would you read Matthew 26, verse 64? Okay, verse 64, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So, who's the Son of Man? The same as the Son of God, well, Jesus. It's Jesus, of course. Now, also there was a mention there of the Mighty One, that Jesus, the Son of Man, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One. Who's the Mighty One? Well, that's God the Father. Mm -hmm. So Jesus' coming is not just an event that's isolated from the rest of heaven. God the Father is in this and all the angels. This is going to be the most momentous event ever in the earth's history. So, Lydia, how's Jesus' second coming described there? It's described as we heard and we read in verses of the Bible, it is, is described as coming as king, coming in victory. So Jesus is coming in victory on clouds, probably with l hosts of angels, so visible. I read in the Bible and also it says that on the day of the Lord is going to be a huge earthquake and um, very dark clouds and um, lightning also so I think it's going to be uh, pretty scary right so mm. things are going to happen in the sky yeah where the saved will go to meet Jesus and he will take us home but great things are going to happen here on the face of the earth correct yeah Stephen who will witness the coming of Jesus well, the Bible says that everybody who is alive will witness the coming of Jesus. It says in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 1, Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Okay. 
So the common factor in all those verses about the return of Jesus is, and we've mentioned this earlier, but we'd like to emphasize it, the common factor is that it's going to be spectacular, yep. yeah, loud, yep. glorious, visible to all, as I mentioned before, literal, visible and audible. It's going to be a, an event that you won't be able to miss. Yeah. And you won't be able to hide from it either? No. So it's not going to be secret? No, not in any way. No. Lydia, would you like to share something there with us? Yes, I would like to read um, a note. The return of Jesus will be such a massive event that it literally will bring the world as we know it to an end. When it happens, everyone will know it too. What Jesus accomplished for us at the first coming fully will be manifest at the second coming. All right. Ken, in view of the second coming of Jesus, how should we be living? Well, reading Matthew chapter 24 and verse 44, the scriptures tell us, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now this means that Jesus is going to appear at some stage when people, even Christians, aren't actually expecting him. So it's going to be a, a really an amazing and uh, uh, interesting event. Right, it mentions there being ready. So what does that mean, Harvey? Being ready represents being in the right sort of relationship with Jesus doing what he asks us to do, to be faithful in the way that we live and that we are consistent with the principles of Christ and do the things he wants us to do and share what we know even with those that don't know. All right. Now, Nick mentioned before about the deception of some of these teachings, not the teachings that we're presenting. We're presenting from the Bible, but there are deceptive teachings and the secret rapture is one of those teachings. There are some other deceptive teachings, and what we're dealing with today covers some of those. For example, where are the dead? Well, Harvey, would you just read First Thessalonians 4.16, which was read a little earlier by Stephen. Where are the dead when Jesus returns? Well, verse 16 of First Thessalonians 4 reads, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So where are they? They're actually in their graves waiting for the call of the life giver. But um, a lot of people don't say that. A lot of people say that they are in paradise. But the Bible says quite clearly that the dead are going to meet Jesus. They will rise to meet him. Now, if they're in paradise, they wouldn't rise, would they? They would descend. So this covers that false teaching that the dead are already in, in heaven. Sometimes, Len, they use the verse that just, or a verse that just comes a couple of verses before because it says... For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And they say, there you go, that's the righteous coming back from heaven to earth with Jesus. But the trick there is you've got to look at the last two verses, because yeah. it says, in him. So it says, 
when you read it again, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So we are in him. The Bible also says that in Christ we are already seated in heavenly places. Not about you, Harvey, but I know I'm not seated in heavenly places. <laughs> I'm sitting here in this uh, radio place. So that means that we are in Christ already in heaven, but we are in actual fact still here. I have made it more confusing and trying to make it more clear. <laughs> but the point is that we, the, those who have died are in Christ. And so when he comes back, he is then able to raise them from the graves, as the point with Harvey was making before. I guess a lot of people get a bit confused about bring with him. It sort of sounds like he's going to bring to mm. earth or near the earth. Mm. But in actual fact, he's going to bring people, the saved, home, which will be heaven. We could also say he's going to take them home, but it just depends where the prime place is. Well, it's quite obvious, Harvey, where this meeting is going to, to be. A lot of people say that when Jesus comes, he's, he's going to set up his kingdom on earth. But where is the meeting going to, to occur? It says clearly in the text we read that it's, we're going to meet in the air. The dead in Christ will rise first and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so it's going to be away from the earth. Right. So Christ is not coming at that time to set up his kingdom on earth. He's going to take them home to heaven. Ken. Would you please read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 to 44. Now, listeners, these are very important texts, and I'll repeat that in case you would like to write it down. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 through to 44. What happens when the righteous dead are resurrected? Yes, Ken. Uh, starting at verse 42... So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in, in uncorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body. It is raised in a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Okay. Now, um, various versions use different terminology here. Mm. The, the word that Ken's Bible had was corruption and incorruption. But in my Bible it says perishable and imperishable. What's the difference between perishable and imperishable? Yes, panel, anybody? Well, obviously per perishable is something that fades away, dies away, it disintegrates, there's nothing left of it but something that's non-perishable lasts forever Yeah, now going on in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 53 to 55 what does that say Stephen? Well it's actually really good but I want to start from verse 51 if you don't mind. That's fine. It says listen I tell you a mystery we will not all sleep, that means we won't all die, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality 
when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that was written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. It'll be a great day. It'll be a marvellous day. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes, Harvey. It sort of answers the lie to some extent, doesn't it, where people think that we are currently immortal. Mm. And they say that it's our bodies that are mortal, but our spirit is immortal. What's the point of becoming immortal if we're already immortal? Because we, the Bible clearly says that we will then put on immortality, mm. which we don't possess now. Yes, it'll be given to us at that point of time. And that's a very important point that you've just mentioned, Harvey. And it's contrary to many people's popular belief that a part of us lives on after death. But verse 53 points out that only at the return of Jesus the saints will be resurrected and will be given immortality then. Um, Lydia, would you read Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 through to 10? Yes, I will. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. There is no question that um, the day of the Lord will be a day of destruction and sorrow and uh, turmoil for the lost. But it is also a day of deliverance for all of God's people, those who are found written in the book. Um, this theme, the day of the Lord, is a time of judgment against the wicked, but also a time when God's faithful people are protected and also they are rewarded. So it, was, it is also found in the Old Testament. For instance, um, although some will face the Lord's fierce anger and uh, those who heed the call to seek his righteousness and seek humility will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. All right, so it mentions two groups there. Now I've got a question for you. Is there a third group? No. Well, according to Scripture, no, there's not, Len. There's only two groups. Now this may be a little bit confusing for our listeners because they may be thinking, well, I'm not a Christian, but uh, I'm not a bad person, so I, I can't be in that group. But the Bible clearly uh, points out is there will only be two groups. Now many of our listeners would have heard the saying, you can sit on the fence. So that means obviously you're sitting on the fence, you're not on one side of the fence or the other side. But unfortunately when the Lord comes back, there's no sitting on the fence, there's no middle ground. If you're not with Jesus, you're automatically on the other side and that leads to destruction. 
Can I just say something there also, Len? That's why probably we we are here now to to share uh, with many people, you know, the good news of the gospel that uh, God foretold us what's going to happen. I just read somewhere that uh, it's interesting that God can be seen in nature, in other things. And even when you wake up in the morning and you hear (coughs) those beautiful um, birds, you know, uh, singing and say, oh, how marvelous that is. But the birds or the whatever else in this world cannot tell us things which God told us through the word of God, you know, and uh, allow us to understand what, how things will happen. And we, we just studied this uh, through this last period of time about the prophecy and the, the importance of understanding the word of God and the prophecies. And that's what I believe our listeners, ourselves, we are here to really pay attention to what God has to say. Okay, I just want to come back to this question. Is there a third group? I think it's a bit like watching a tennis match. You know, when the ball is on the line, it's in. When the ball is away from the line, it's out. There's no in-out. It's got to be one or the other, and that's how it's going to be with the people of God who will be saved and the people who are not God's people are going to be lost. Harvey, uh, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21, and if you wouldn't mind reading that in a moment, it talks about something being transformed. What gets transformed? Anyhow, read the text and then you can answer the question. Well, in Philippians 3, verse 21, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working thereby, whereby he is able to even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, this text tells me something that I really like. I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror. Sometimes I try to avoid it most of the time. (laughs) But I look in the mirror and I think, that's not good. Life changes up. The youth's gone. The hair's gone. The eyesight's not as good as it used to be. The hearing's not as good as it used to be. But praise God, listeners, there is a time coming when Jesus returns. Those who are looking forward to his coming because they have a relationship with him, It says, in the twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. There will be a change. Our body will change. It'll go from what it is to what God intended it to be in the first place. And the change is something that I can't wait for. I just love the idea. Mm. Harvey, Harvey, you've um, mentioned some things that you would like to change. What about you, Ken? Are there some things that you want to be transformed into the... Well, likeness of Jesus. Well, I'm I'm sure, like some of our listeners, we all have things, perhaps in our bodies, that we would uh, like to be better. Uh, I'm in my 60s, so uh, unfortunately, as Harvey was saying earlier on, when he looks in the mirror, sometimes he's not happy what he sees. I look in the mirror some mornings and I think, who who the devil's that looking back? It's not that young person I used to know. But reality is set in, and of course we have aged. Uh, which is not very nice. Um, 
and also of course as we get older many of us lose our hair and men certainly don't like to do that uh, but I think one of the other things that's affecting many of us today is uh, our memories aren't as good as they used to be and, and this is really something that would be wonderful to have a fantastic memory like we did when God first made people. My listeners, I'd just like to mention one other thing, and that is if you listen to this program today and you're maybe thinking, oh, look, I, I could never be those things, or I think I'm a bad person, or I'm not good enough for any of these things, I want to tell you all that Jesus is looking for every single person out there. He wants to save every one of us, irrespective of what you've done, irrespective of how bad you think you may be, Jesus is waiting there to save you and he wants to give you new life. You just have to connect with him and give your heart to Jesus. So please, if you're listening to this today, don't be put off and thinking, I could never do those things. We were all at that stage ourselves at, at some time and we had to start from scratch and begin to grow as a Christian in Jesus. Yes, my dear old mum died just before she turned to be 101 and she died in the Lord she was a believer, she trusted the Lord and she committed her life to him but she had bad knees and so she had to walk around with one of these rollators as they're called and you know it gave her a lot of pain and apart from being with Jesus she looked forward to the time when she could walk and jump and whatever she needed to do without that pain. And um, she was faithful to the end, and that's my aim too, to be faithful to the end. And I think everybody here on the panel wants to be faithful when Jesus comes to be taken home with him. Amen. Lydia, what would you like to say here? The second coming of Jesus isn't the epilogue the, or the appendix or the afterword to the sad story of human sin and suffering in this fallen world. Instead, the second coming is the grand climax, the great hope of the Christian faith. Without it, what would we have? The story of humanity just would go on and on one miserable scene after another, one tragedy after another, until it all ends in death. Yeah. Apart from the hope that Christ's return offers us, life is, as William Shakespeare wrote, a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And yet, we have this hope because the Word of God confirms it for us again and again. We have this hope because Jesus ransomed us with his life and Jesus is indeed coming back to get what he paid for. Yeah, thanks, Ledger. Harvey? Yes, listeners, I'd like to raise a little issue here and that is that if you feel uneasy about the fact that Jesus is coming again, you feel as though you're not worthy or not not in a position where you think you'd be on the right side as as Ken said of the fence you're on if you're on God's side but I'd like you to understand that the Bible is full of promises of how easy it is really to get to be in a relationship with Jesus 
Now we all know the text, or many of us know the text by heart, John 3.16. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is one of the greatest promises. But I think sometimes we miss it out a little bit by not going to the next verse, and that's verse 17. And it says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We have to understand that God wants to save us. It's not a case of he's trying to keep us out of heaven. He's trying to get us into heaven. And so we can, if we develop a relationship with him, we've got to start somewhere, as Ken said. But if we get to the point where we kneel and say, Lord, remember me, a sinner, as the publican did in the temple, and Jesus said he went away justified, and that's what we want people to be, and to understand that everybody can, in fact, be saved. Mm. It's a gift, but salvation is free for us. That's very true, Harvey, and I just like that a little bit too, that also Jesus and, and the Scriptures clearly tell us that God wants to get, would love to get everybody into heaven. He doesn't want to keep anyone out. The only people that aren't going to be there are those that make a decision not to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus is doing his absolute best to reach out to everyone in this world. Everyone will hear this gospel. Some of us, like myself, it took a long time to make that decision to come to Jesus. But God was so faithful and so gracious, he kept on and on at me until eventually I started to look into the Bible and saw the truth that was in there and started to uh, take heed and started to change and become a Christian. So uh, you do have to make some decisions, folks, because time is really moving on. And I think one of the other things we should mention today also is that some of you may be thinking, look, I've heard this so many times about Jesus coming back, perhaps the last 50, 60 years. But what a lot of people do not understand, during those other times when people talked about the return of the Lord, many of the scriptures and prophecies hadn't been fulfilled. As we look at scriptures today, all the time prophecies have been fulfilled and virtually everything else has been fulfilled. There's not very much to go. And the scriptures tell us that in the latter days, time will be moving very, very quickly and events will happen very, very quickly. So now is the day of salvation. Now is the day to do something for Jesus. Yeah. So anybody else got a comment? Because we're going to wrap this up soon. I mean, just what I thought, you know, before we wrap it up, uh, uh, you can see out there, uh, my dear friend, that uh, everyone in this panel is actually concerned about uh, you also, which means we are not here like just selfish people just to think, okay, you know, we got it, we know it, uh, we'll grab it, you know, the salvation. We like to have everyone possible as Jesus wants, you know, Jesus wants everyone, no, no one to perish but to have an everlasting life. This was a great study, Len, preparation for the end time. And as you pointed out at the beginning that we are going to start a, a new Bible study uh, from next week, um, I think it's, uh, it's so important and so appropriate to understand the times we live in. Well, friends, these last, last 13 weeks, we've considered what the Bible teaches 
about being prepared for the end times. The key issue is that if we choose to serve the Lord, just as Ken spoke about his own experience, we will be given eternal life. We're also admonished to be aware of the days in which we live and to recognise that Jesus may come at any time. There's a need to be vigilant, to be on guard, that we do not get caught up in the empty pleasures of this world, but instead to keep ourselves focused on Jesus, the one who wants us to spend eternity with him. It's our hope, and I mean it's the hope of this panel today, that all of you who've listened to today's Bible study will make it your business to be ready and waiting for Jesus at his soon second coming. If you'd like to join in with, rather than just listening on the radio, but join in with a group to study the Bible together on a Saturday morning, and there are a number of churches around Adelaide that you'd be most welcome to attend. But if I could just mention a couple or three of them. There's one in the south called Morfitt Vale Seventh-day Adventist Church, and it's at um, 130 Pimpala Road. There's one right in the middle of the city itself at 82 Angus Street called Adelaide City Church. And there's one up in the northeast called Paravista on Nelson Road. You'd be most welcome to come along. Um, each of them have Bible study times. Um, some are at 9.30, some are at 11.30. But if you come along, you'll be made welcome and you'll be glad that you did spend some time with some people who want to study the Bible together. God bless you as you make this decision. Is that wedding music I Is that where 
of Is that way? 